in the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see your bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. mediocre husky football podcast on the internet i am andrew berg we debated whether we were going to record this week with so much uncertainty about whether football still exists we decided that if there are only going to be a handful of husky games this year it would be kind of crazy not to talk about one of them before it happens so at the last minute we got together and i am joined by gaby lucas gaby how's it going tonight hello it's going uh, it's going good. I just think about that because I don't, I don't know, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going good. My, is it com is it public knowledge that I have a dying kitten or is that just between the writers? Anyway, I'm doing good because my kitten's still alive and hanging in there. Yeah. Not- I think we did talk about it at one point when you missed an episode for vet appointments or something. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So no, yeah. it's just too sad. Kitten She's watch. Still got it. Yeah. Well, it can anyway. be a recurring segment that cannot <laughs> end well. The cat still alive. Yeah. Not the first one. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, we did not have a Cal game to review, um, so we have nothing to complain about in that regard. Uh, gave up no sacks through no interceptions and so forth. Uh, we do have a game coming up against Oregon State. Uh, before we talk about the Beavs uh, specifically, Let's talk a little bit about where we are with the Huskies going into our belated week one game. Still don't know who the quarterback is. The ever-changing sands through the hourglass seem to be giving us different indications than they were a week ago. And the most recent poorly sourced third-hand rumors seem to be pointing in the direction of Jacob Sermon. Do you have any strong feelings about that? Um, No, not really. I think, I think it's like, fun I, I get why people have a strong opinion but um I think I've gone over the pros and cons of each of these guys enough to the point where obviously if it is Sermon Sermon has the highest ceiling period like there's nothing to debate there but I I think as given the the you have three guys who are all you know what you have in them none of them probably totally suck uh like I I, I shouldn't say that none of them suck I should say that of all three of them, the likelihood based on what we know is that one of them could get to the top to the point of not totally sucking. Um, so, so I've just gone over it and I, I feel confident that, you know, if, if regardless of who were to emerge the winner, that, that there's enough competition that I'd, I'd have com- com- uh, yeah confidence in that. Um, but yeah, if it was Sermon, that would be, awesome because i mean yeah like everybody it's we don't need to talk more about it it's been discussed to death like to death uh by every UW fan on the internet everywhere every platform we all know why you know he has the highest ceiling and why he gives this offense the highest ceiling so if that's true then hell yeah yeah i i think the the comment that the speculation came out of said that the light went off for him or light went on the light toggled from one direction to the other it was in a better position now than it was before i'm always a little skeptical uh, of things like Mm -hmm. that like okay so 
the two and a quarter years we had watching this guy play in practice left us with a, a lot of questions, but the last six hours were really persuasive. I, I, I've always kind of a weight of the evidence person, but at the same time, I think you're right that you kind of have to just pick a direction and go with it. And there are advantages to a few different guys. I thought Christian Capel uh, from the athletic made a good point in his mailbag uh, posted, I guess on Wednesday where he said, whoever it is, you kind of have to have a short hook, uh, especially if it's one of the younger guys, because you probably, if it's between Morris and Sermon in particular, or, you know, if Garbers gets his name back in there, you kind of want to give them some experience. So you have a little bit better idea what you're dealing with going into next year. And I think the dumber this year becomes, the more true that is. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if we're going to play three games, I'd kind of almost prefer to just have each quarterback start one game or something like that because we're not going to really that. get I a like lot that purely from a team chaos perspective. And at least we have some idea of seeing these guys because you're going into the year saying like, oh, well, none of them have any game experience. We won't be there next year, no matter who it is, presumably, hopefully, unless, you know, however many games we play, it's only Kevin Thompson or if every game, and he doesn't come back for uh, year 18 of his college eligibility. <laughs> and, or if none, no games get played. Uh, so we won't be left in this lurch of we don't have a quarterback who's ever taken a real snap. And, you know, having a little bit of, of experience for a couple guys, especially if these games aren't really going to end up mattering for much. I mean, it'll be fun to watch. It's entertainment. They all matter in that sense. But, you know, this season is obviously a little bit off the rails before it's getting going, and I could see it getting even more off the rails before it gets too far. Um, with that in mind, is there anything else that you're particularly interested to see? Like, which is there a position group or a particular player you are really fired up about going into Saturday night uh, just to see how they look coming out for the first game of the season. Yeah, I think besides the um, besides the whole, the wide receivers as a as a unit, I think will be really fun to see who's at what point at what stage of their development there. Um, and obviously, I think Cam Davis uh, in the running backs. But I also think it'll be fun to see what um, like how how the offense how individuals on the offensive line look like I think I think it'll be interesting to see for example like Luke Wattenberg who has officially as of this weekend will have played every position on the line hmm. or I should say every tackle guard center I don't know if he's played both I think he's I don't think he's played both sides at both positions um but I I, I like I wonder like oh maybe it will center be the position that he is best at uh, for example, like I'm, I'm just saying that as a theoretical, you know, I don't have any evidence of that, but that or like looking at Ulamu Ale, uh, seeing since he was such a is such a physical specimen who was projected to be more of a project, but um, you know him at left guard as a redshirt sophomore, which is kind of early on the trajectory of what we initially thought his development might look like when he signed uh, in 2018. Like I think, I think. You know, left guard, that'll be interesting. Obviously, seeing how Jackson Kirkland makes that transition to left tackle. Um, I feel like just every single unit or every single, sorry, position on the offensive line, um, even though you have to look at the OL as like a single, you have to look at those five guys as like a one thing. You can't really evaluate them based on just one right. dude. Yeah, yeah. But I think looking at each individual position there is going to be really interesting. So, yeah, I think that'll be my 
that's my dorky answer. No, I think that's I, – I mean, strangely, this is, I think, probably equally dorky, but Kirkland was the first name that came to mind for me, too, just seeing him mm-hmm. move positions. He was very, very good as a guard last year, but not – necessarily in a way that I would think would easily translate. Like he isn't like some super rangy guy with great footwork and Mm -hmm. technique. He was just kind of a bulldozer and he was very tough. Uh, That doesn't mean he can't slide over and be effective on the outside. And and he's changed his body according to the, uh, what the team has told us about his height and weight in a way that's going to make him make that an easier transition for him. So I want to see that because it is a different job and it's a really important one. And it's one that, you know, after Trey Adams started to his body started to break down, we haven't really had uh, like a lockdown left tackle against great pass rushers. Although I'm not sure uh, Oregon State is going to provide the very best <laughs> test of our uh, yeah, pass absolutely. protection, but we'll we'll get into that yeah. a little and bit. And I, I like uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to shift and talk a little bit about the defense as well. And as we've beaten to death over the years, the middle linebacker spot and is that something that's gone to at least like a point of not significant concern and will the, the rotation next to LaFosho kind of get the job done enough that we don't have to worry about it so much anymore. Cause I'm just, I'm not particularly worried about the secondary or even the line, even with the loss of uh, uh, Anzarike and Tryon, although he's technically an outside linebacker had his hand in the dirt pretty frequently like, even without those two guys I'm not particularly worried about the tackles or the outside linebackers and I'm, I'm more interested to see how the inside linebackers adapt this season yeah I think um I think I feel kind of similar to the inside linebacker spot um opposite Olufosio I feel kind of similar to that as I do the quarterback where except for just on a larger scale because you have so many more players to choose from there mm-hmm. where it's like yeah we could very well end up with a step above mediocrity kind of I don't like that sounds so down I don't mean it like that but we could end up with relative a relatively average maybe slightly above average inside linebacker opposite him um but you just know you look at all the players all the options that there are to play there that just like thinking about the probability of going okay well if we have you know I don't don't want to counted out but what five or six guys who were all a if you just look at their ratings out of high school they were all rated or not all of them but you have a significant concentration of quite highly rated players and then if you watch your their film and evaluate each of them on an eye test you know there's a lot of stuff to work there with um so just probability wise it's reasonable to think that you're going to be in a in a halfway decent position there especially when you consider that they're young as the season goes on that that's at that age of redshirt freshman redshirt sophomore is when that improvement um and the, the marginal return of each game impacting their improvement the most um is what's happening so yeah I'm, I'm not I suppose I'm more quote unquote worried about that one slot than I am about anywhere else on the defense, but it's not a significant, um, especially after seeing last year and how much they improved after just putting in, you know, even just Jackson Sermon and Ulufosio and MJ Tafisi, who were, you know, at least in Sermon's and Tafisi's case last year were merely average at best. 
um, just seeing how much the defense improved as a unit, I feel confident that it at least will be at that position, if not better, and almost certainly better than um, where we were when we had uh, Sermon, Ilifoshio, and Tavisian. So, sorry, that was really long-winded way of saying, yeah, I think we'll be fine. No, I think you're right. I think part of the reason I bring that up is because I'm excited to see us being fine because we were not fine uh, for long stretches and just feeling comfortable with that. Uh, it's just avoiding the, the, the having the survival instinct to avoid yeah. the imminent fear of death is a positive development. So let's take our quick break here. This is like I said, we don't have a cow game to reflect on, sadly. So we're going to have a short break. Uh, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about Oregon State particularly uh, and the matchups that they will pose for the Huskies. So stick around and we will get into the week one, week two matchup. Welcome back. We have moved on from our general discussion of the Huskies. And now we're going to talk a little more specifically about Oregon State uh, comes into the game 0-1 after kind of a disappointing loss to Washington State. I, I don't know how you felt going into this game, but I thought, you know, you kind of look at these two teams, both with uh, inexperienced quarterbacks, both with very questionable defenses, uh, both with, you know, relatively young head coaches, but it's Oregon State has a quarterback who has a little bit of experience and a coach who's been there for a little while. It seemed like they had uh, the inside track for this game, and they just kind of, things just didn't break their way. It just didn't really work out for them. Uh, any thoughts on, Oregon State losing to Wazoo and what that might mean for their season and, and them coming into the Husky Stadium this weekend? Yeah, I think when um when I was watching it while it was happening, I think the main thing offensively that stood out to me was that I think it just took a minute for Tristan Jebbia, Jebbia, Gebbia, Jebbia to Yeah, get I would say Gebbia, and then they, I, I learned it was yeah. Jebbia this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it took him a, a, a while to get into a rhythm, which makes sense. Um, you know, it was his first time starting a season. Um, uh, and it was his first, you know, real meaningful game action. Um, and then Oregon State's defense, clearly, you know, that was their weakness last year. I mean, it's been their weakness for a hot minute, including last year. And it, clearly they haven't taken that step on defense yet at least not right now um and so when you even so then when you get uh when your quarterback new quarterback gets off to a slow start and your defense is uh is ass you know then that just left them in in such a crappy position where even with Oregon State kind of leading that drive a few drives near the end of that game um is you know just a little bit too too little too late um, but I don't think, I don't, I don't think it, I, 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 I think they're still in a similar position to last year. I think maybe their defensive interior on the defensive line is, um, a little bit regressed, but I still don't think they're, they're, they're much better still than the Oregon State of a few years ago under Gary Anderson, for example, which granted is not saying much. But it's not – they're not this absolutely terrible barren wasteland um, as far as their outlook for the future um, and what you can see on the field um, as far as what implies that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. They're at least a competent team right now. I was a little bit surprised that they lost this game for the reasons I said. And even if you look back at the box score – 
they 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 were neutral in total yardage. Uh, WSU mm-hmm. outgained them by five yards. Uh, neutral in penalties. They had one more penalty yard in the game. They were plus one on turnovers. Uh, WSU's interception was the only turnover of the game. Uh, they were better on third downs. They were equal on fourth downs. They slightly had an advantage on time of possession. And you kind of say, like, well, how did you lose by 10 points? And I think, you know, watching the flow of the game, it had a lot to do with Jebia and the offense's very uneven start where they just couldn't mm-hmm. get a rhythm together. and just seemed like they'd make a mistake at the exact wrong time. And a little bit to do with uh, WSU's, even without Max Borgie, uh, the, the backup running back, McIntosh, was probably the yeah. standout player in the game. He was just kind of a, a battering ram, which is encouraging because that's kind of – we're going to hope to see some of that for UW to just being able to gash through the middle of the defense to get pick up consistent yardage. And Oregon State did a pretty poor job against that the entire game with the field spread out. They just didn't have the, the size or the strength to, to stop the run. And then defensively, they just didn't make enough plays. Like, they were kind of there. Uh, but they had uh, on the day, they had a total of five Havoc plays, two pass def- deflections and a three tackles for loss. And, you know, they, they did fine. They didn't make things easy for – uh, Jaden DeGlore in his first game, but they also didn't really punish him when he did make mistakes, and he did make a few, and it just didn't translate into things falling apart for WSU. So I think, you know, those that probably bodes pretty well for UW that you have a defense that will kind of bend and bend and bend and maybe occasionally break, and then bend an offense break. <laughs> yeah, bend and probably also break. Sometimes don't break, but probably eventually break. Their their defense is like a hair tie. Like it'll bend for a while, but eventually it's gonna. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's a reference that's only uh, recently come into my uh, repertoire with a, a daughter whose hair is now long enough to put into hair ties. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, nothing in that game made me more worried about Oregon State as an opponent than going into the game. If anything, it made me a little bit less concerned because the defense just didn't take the steps forward that they probably would have liked to see them taking. Yeah, that's, that's really kind of similar to how I feel. And I think, um, like I just finished my defensive preview of them. And the thing that stood out to me for thinking about the defense now is they really, um, their, their linebackers kind of inside linebackers and outside to an extent really kind of reminded me of where, um, Brandon Wellington and Kyler Manu were for UW last year. Just their their instincts and um, diagnosing of each play was really off a lot of the times, and they were too slow to make up for it. So, and, and then, and so I feel like you know when you look at what McIntosh was doing for Wazoo against OSU on the ground, um, I mean there really was such little help in the middle of the field, they were just kind of this giant sieve. And then furthermore, the defensive line, they don't, other than Hamilcar Sheed, who was kind of invisible last weekend for them, um, they really had zero pass rush. Um, And so then I I, I feel like based on what I've seen from just that one last week, like their secondary, OSU secondary is the best um, unit on the field, but, because there's no pass rush event, you know, they get, they just keep getting screwed over too. Um, and then also it's worth noting that the, the, the defense, one of the, the primary issue I noticed besides the poor reading of the plays 
by linebackers was just um, it put really bad tackling too at times. And so just they kept shooting themselves in the foot in that way. Yeah, it wasn't it, – the secondary was not impressive. And then offensively, you know, the people who complained about uh, Jonathan Smith as the UW offensive coordinator probably look at this and say, you know, like Jebia, high completion percentage, plenty of yards, didn't throw any interceptions. But it is just so many non-explosive plays, like taking what the defense is giving them to a fault, like never being able to break through and do something bigger and then eventually – something would go wrong, they'd make a mistake, and they'd get off schedule, and they wouldn't be able to finish the drive. And that happened so many times in this game, and it was kind of exactly the thing that drove people crazy about Smith as UW's coach. Uh, They got around that at times last year with Jake Luton. Uh, They didn't do it as well uh, last week against Wazoo. And if UW's defense is even close to what it's supposed to be, it kind of would play into – uh, UW's hands to, you know, if they want to take what's underneath, we're very sure tacklers, um, you know, and probably going to be able to make just enough plays to get them off schedule as well. So I I think even there, it's a little bit reassuring. Yeah. And I think also for what it's worth, um, Jebbia, uh, when you look at him versus Luton, his, he's more of a threat on the ground for sure. Um, and he's, he's a, he's a good passer, but you can tell that his velocity is, is pretty, it's noticeably less. Um, and so when I think about our secondary being able to kind of ball hawk and jump on those kind of throws, kind of those mid, mid range, mid depth, um, throws by someone with that arm strength, um, of kind of a average kind of can float them in there a little bit too much. Um, I feel like they could, they could, they could have some fun with that a little bit. Yeah, that's encouraging. They didn't turn the ball over in week one. Hopefully we'll be able to force a turnover or two, which would certainly help the transition to a new quarterback. Although, like we talked about, I think there's probably enough there in the ground game that we're not going to have to rely on a quarterback to be, you know, averaging nine yards per attempt or anything like that. Uh, Probably, you know, maybe not the most inspiring thing if you're trying to get people excited about a new offense uh, for John Donovan, but it might be wise to kind of spend this game more on the ground and using that to set up the play action pass, which is probably the opposite of what a lot of people want to see, but might be the smartest way to approach uh, a defense like this. That's definitely the smartest way to approach this defense, especially when you look at, um, yeah, when when you, I really just keep coming back to how poor their tackling was and how much, how many running lanes were just wide open, especially because their defensive fronts, they very, they, they, varied them a lot, I noticed, but also especially early on in the game against Wazoo, um, they had some some fr- some downs where they'd have, like, one nose tackle, which, as far as I know, they didn't actually have their genuine nose tackle playing. Um, it was, so it was someone playing out of position at zero technique, and then you'd have two other defensive ends playing at, like, five technique, or I think even there might have been, like, one or two snaps where they were even wider. And so you have these gigantic – space is already open and then when you have inside linebackers whose job it is to come in and fill those read that and fill the spaces where they need to be in but they are bad at reading it I mean there's just a lot of space especially early on in that game and so I think thinking about that and that UW's running backs is are are people who are, are a unit that we know is good at what they do and that you know you don't want to put too much of a burden on a quarterback who might is likely starting their first game ever or it's Kevin Thompson um it I think that's exactly what what you want to see from John Donovan this weekend 
yeah, keep it simple. Hopefully, you know, just get the job done. We don't have that many uh, opportunities this year. So just take it where you can get it as much as possible. Um, So one final thought on that WSU-OSU game. I don't know if you noticed this. It popped up a couple times in the game, but uh, WSU's leading tackler in the game was Aiden Hector, which is probably kind of uh, jarring to a lot of uh, UW fans, given the saga of his personal life and his recruitment and how he ended up at Wazoo, but, you know, hopefully he gets back, things back on track and things go well for him, but hopefully he never has a good game against UW. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything about that because I feel like the, all those Eastside Catholic families are lawyered up, and I don't want to get <laughs> sued for title. Yeah. Hey, I, all I said was yep. hope, hope things go well for him in the future, uh, hopefully better than, <laughs> you know, what they did over the last several months. Um, yep. So I think that, that pretty well does it for the Oregon State game. Any uh, other thoughts on what we saw from the Pac-12 this week? Obviously pretty exciting stuff uh, at, the, at the Coliseum where USC got badly outplayed for like 56 minutes and then got a, three miracles in a row to go their way. <laughs> Uh, in the last four minutes. Uh, it was a great game. I mean, I'm not – I wasn't thrilled with the outcome. I was cheering for Arizona State uh, just because, I, you know, I'm a Pac-12 fan. I don't like USC. Uh, but it was a pretty great way for the game to end. It was very exciting. No, this is where I have to um, admit to a fault of mine, and that's that I didn't watch – I was gone most of the day until that evening because I drove up to the Canadian border – had a picnic on the border, and then played badminton over the border, which I thought the border huh. guards would be like, hey, stop that. But they just drove by and were like, hi, how are you doing? And we're like, fun. I should I should point out there were Canadians on the other side. I wasn't just, like, hitting birdies over to Canada <laughs> by myself like a fucking maniac. Uh, yeah, so I didn't see it. But I heard, and I was really happy seeing that ASU was winning, and then I checked my phone and was like, well, this is bullshit. <laughs> But uh, yeah, anywho. Yeah, uh, that yeah, it was it was pretty wild. Uh, the rest of the conference games, uh, you know, I, Stanford kind of just held, or uh, rather, Oregon held serve against Stanford uh, without Davis Mills. It was kind of a four. bit of a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I think we'll that that's probably all we have to say for now. Uh, any recommendations this week other than playing? Uh, badminton over the I, I think when you talk about Canadian and badminton I think of trailer park boys and and them always saying badminton and over pronouncing the end yeah. and I just assume that every Canadian says the same thing yeah well that's what yeah every Canadian uh I know all my British friends say badminton and I hate it I don't know if the Canadians <laughs> say it I notice anything one of them just pulled a whole ass badminton net out of his backpack and was like I'm gonna put this up on the border and I was like that's a terrible idea I'm gonna where I'm gonna get banned from your country <laughs> um it didn't yeah uh no it anyways sorry I'm just I my brain isn't working now so I I just said a sentence like that that wasn't actually a sentence but was just like 700 different run-on clauses that didn't connect <laughs> well this one's going <laughs> a lot better yeah this is going a lot better so mm, did we? Uh, did you ask for plugs? I don't even yeah. know what you asked. Yeah, that's I where we started. Okay. I, last week I, I recommended a weird indie movie that just came out. Uh, I, I watched another one just yesterday called – this one's three years old, but I just found it yesterday. Uh, it's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Uh, 
or someone. I thought you mentioned it. Maybe you didn't. No, I've never did. seen this until yesterday. So if I mentioned it, um, I don't. I don't know how I mentioned it. Oh, never but, mind. Then. It was. It's on Netflix. I think it was made or is purchased by Netflix. But it's. It's essentially. It's about um, a woman, kind of just like a, a every woman type person living in the South. Somebody uh, burglarizes her house, and the police don't really help her. So she enlists her super weird neighbor, uh, played by um, uh, Elijah Wood, and in kind of like hunting down the people who stole her stuff. Uh, it's just kind of like lashing out at the unfairness of the world. And it's, I, I said to my wife that it's the only movie I've ever seen that reminded me in any way of The Big Lebowski, which is my favorite movie. Uh, just kind of like the, the fish out of water, extremely dark humor. You feel a little bit uncomfortable laughing at it, but that makes it even funnier at times. And like just this cast of characters where they're all kind of believable people, but just turned up by like 15% to the, where they're no longer quite believable, but it makes it a little bit more entertaining. It was. I really enjoyed it. It was just very bizarre, very enjoyable, very funny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, and it's like an hour and thirty minutes. It's on Netflix. Great, great way to spend an evening. I need to figure out who it was who told because I've someone recently recommend or like bench. I don't know. Um, if it was me, I'm very embarrassed because I had such a great reaction to seeing it for the first time yesterday. I'm sure uh, it wasn't and- you. I'm sure it was someone else. <laughs> but I'm gonna go insane trying to remember who it was. Also, to anybody who's still listen, listening to this, I apologize for how uh, uh, much or how little sense I have made in the last 10 minutes or so, including right now. I, well, just to pull back the curtain, we started recording about an hour later tonight than we usually do. And apparently that's like the witching hour or the like turning into a pumpkin thing uh, where at like 8.30 p.m. we just completely lose our ability to string together sentences. So it's probably yeah. a good, as good a place as any to wrap up. Uh, yeah, my ability means, isn't really there to begin with anyway. So, you know, it's all downhill. It's, it's a fine line. But thanks for listening. Hopefully we get an actual Husky football game to talk about next week and to watch this weekend. I'm optimistic. We're another uh, 24 hours closer than we were 24 hours ago, and nothing has been canceled yet. So thanks for sticking around and listening, and good luck, go dogs, and have a great weekend. Bye-bye.